Good morning, everyone. Well, 2020 just keeps getting crazier and crazier. But I still believe that Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. There's an old adage that I'm sure you've heard. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I don't know if it's because of how I was raised or just that I'm a pretty typical guy, but I never really appreciated art. A little over a year ago, my wife roped me into going to the Detroit Art Museum. Actually, the reason I went along willingly was that they had a special exhibit featuring, you guessed it, baseball cards. Unfortunately, that was only one room And I finished perusing it long before Nicole was finished with the rest of the museum. So I began to wander. After a while, I made my way into a large room displaying large pieces of abstract art. From far across the room, one piece caught my eye. Upon closer examination, I learned that the piece was entitled B.I. Let me describe it to you. It was both the size and look of a ping pong table top with no legs or net, but it was red instead of green. A large canvas painted red with a vertical white line down the middle. So something like this, but much larger. I learned this week as I was researching that it's actually the second version of the painting. The original was damaged beyond repair, so the artist, as hard as it may be to believe, actually recreated it. I seriously doubt that that line down the middle is as straight on the second version as it was on the first. My apologies to the artistic people out there, like my oldest daughter, but I just don't get it. To my credit, as I've grown older, I've come to appreciate much more other kinds of beauty, especially in nature. For instance, I love flowers. Tulips are one of my favorites. I love all the different forms of tulips and of flowers in general that show the creativity of God. I do believe that all of us need to learn to appreciate beauty and especially as it relates to Jesus. My reasoning is that I believe that only when we see the beauty of Jesus for ourselves will we have the ability and the motivation to properly represent his beauty to a lost world. My message today has four points. Jesus is beautiful in his power. Jesus is beautiful in his position. We experience his beauty in his presence. And lastly, there is beauty in his peace. Now, some of those statements might sound a little strange to you. Beautiful in his power. Beautiful in his position. I think it might help you understand what I mean and where I'm going if I give you a definition of the word beautiful. A common definition of beautiful would be something like having aesthetic pleasure. This is not what we are talking about. In fact, speaking of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah said he had no beauty 
or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. We're talking about a more all-encompassing idea of beauty. I would suggest this definition. The harmonious blending of all components that leads to a pleasing whole. In this respect, Jesus is, to put it in biblical terms, the fairest of 10,000. Our text for today is found in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. Interestingly enough, I learned this week that this text is widely considered to be an excerpt from a hymn of the day, possibly used in early church gatherings. Here's that text. Colossians 1, starting at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. In thinking of this as a hymn, I was reminded of another hymn that describes the all-encompassing beauty of Jesus Christ. It's an old one, but do you remember fairest Lord Jesus? The words are worth reading here. Young people, make note that we're using the word fair here in an older English sense as a synonym for the word beautiful. The hymn says, Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, O thou of God and man the Son, thee will I cherish, thee will I honor, thou my soul's glory, joy, and crown. Fair are the meadows, fairer still the woodlands, robed in the blooming garb of spring. Jesus is fairer, Jesus is purer, who makes the woeful heart to sing. Fair is the sunshine, Fairer still the moonlight and all the twinkling starry host. Jesus shines brighter. Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. All fairest beauty, heavenly and earthly, wondrously Jesus is found in thee. None can be nearer, fairer or dearer than thou my Savior art to me. Pray with me, please. Fairest Lord Jesus, we come to you today and ask that you would help us to see your beauty in a fresh way today. To see your beauty in a way that motivates us to go out and to show others how beautiful you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we dive into our outline today, we see first 
that Jesus is beautiful in his power. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know all too well right now that power can be ugly. The power of water rushing out of a breached dam is devastatingly ugly. The power of a man of authority abusing his power over another man is shamefully ugly. Jesus is all-powerful, omnipotent, but there's beauty in his power. We've witnessed the elegance of his power in the cascades of a waterfall like Niagara or the highly ionized loops of gas called plasma that burst majestically from the surface of the sun. A few years ago, Toshiba had an ad campaign entitled The Beauty of Power. In one of their commercials, they set off an explosion which set off a stunning array of color and motion, all captured in super slow-mo. They then, of course, made some reference to the power of one of their computers. In one of the more loosely interpreted sections of paraphrase from the Message Bible, Psalm 19 begins like this. God's glory is on tour in the skies. Godcraft on exhibit across the horizon. Madam Day holds classes every morning. Professor Knight lectures each evening. I love that idea that creation is our teacher, reminding us to not only see the aesthetic, but also the author. He is the source of beauty. He is the beautiful one. In addition to that, we've also witnessed the beauty that results from the power of Jesus. The beauty that is in the life of a, that is in the, uh, beauty that's in the life of someone who's been rescued from slavery to sin and set free to live righteously. Romans 8.3 refers to that power when it says, the law could not make me free from the power of sin and death. It was weak because it had to work with Weak human beings. But God sent his own son. He came to earth in a body of flesh which could be tempted to sin as we in our bodies can be. He gave himself to take away sin. By doing that, he took away the power sin had over us. Our second point emphasizes that Jesus is beautiful in his position. The word that comes to mind here is Majesty. He is the highly exalted one. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's look at what our text says about his position. First of all, in verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. 
It's important to understand that the Greek word here for image, according to the New International Bible Commentary, communicates the idea that Christ participates in and with the nature of God. Not merely copying, but visibly manifesting and perfectly revealing God in human form. Second, our text says that he is the firstborn of all creation. When we hear the idea of firstborn, we most likely jump quickly to the idea of time order. My son Paul is my firstborn because he arrived two years before Annie and about ten years before Grace. Here again, we see the importance of being able to look back at the original Greek language to convey the intended message of the author. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that we have a pastor who studied the original languages and can give us insight into them. But I'm also thankful for commentaries that simple folk like me can consult to shed similar insight. In this case, I accessed a commentary by noted theologian Warren Wearsby. Wearsby says that here, the term firstborn does not refer to time, but to place or status. Firstborn simply means of first importance, a first rank. So this term is stressing the supremacy of Jesus' rank over all creation as the one who was actually an active agent at the act of creation. Next, we see the beauty of his position as the head of the body, the church. Do you think the church is beautiful? We've seen very clearly the last couple weeks the beauty of the church in response to the flood dam break of 2020. Crisis teams from at least two denominations, including our own, came to town along with Samaritan's Purse, an international Christian crisis response team. But more significantly, the body of Christ in Midland for many denominations swept through the community with physical, emotional, financial, and spiritual aid that was a feather in the cap of the one who is the head of the body, the Lord Jesus Christ. It didn't take a flood for me to know that the body of Christ is a beautiful thing. I and my family have personally experienced the love and the support of the body for many years here in Midland and wherever we've lived. When I can travel to the other side of the world on a mission trip and have an immediate bond of love with people that I've never met before because of our connection to Christ as the head of the body, That is beautiful to me. Finally, in verse 18, we're told that in everything, he is preeminent. What does that mean? A simple definition is surpassing all others. Let me illustrate. In 1893, the world's Columbian Exposition was held in Chicago, And more than 21 million people visited the exhibits. 
Interestingly enough, I actually have a coin that has been passed down through my family generations. It's a 50-cent piece commemorating the event. Among the many exhibits at the fair was a World Parliament of Religions with representatives of the world's religions meeting to share the best points and perhaps they thought come up with a new religion for the world. Evangelist and Chicago native D.L. Moody saw this as a great opportunity for evangelism. He used churches, rented theaters, and even rented a circus tent to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. His friends wanted Moody to critically attack the Parliament of Religions, but he refused. Here was his reasoning. Moody said, I'm going to make Jesus Christ so attractive that men will turn to him. Moody knew that Jesus Christ was the preeminent Savior, not just one religious leader among many of history. What came to be known as the Chicago Campaign of 1893 was probably the greatest evangelistic endeavor in D.L. Moody's life, as thousands came to Christ because Moody trusted that people would be attracted to the beauty of the preeminent Christ. The next point that I'd like you to see today is that we experience his beauty in his presence. Our text touches on this idea when it says in verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That word dwell means to take up residence and it speaks of his presence. More significantly, for the point I want to make here, take a look at Psalm 27, verse 4. King David is speaking. He says, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It's what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. Do you hear the passion expressed in that verse? I want only one thing. I just want to be with God and gaze at his beauty. It sounds almost like the fawnings of a love-struck teenager. But don't misunderstand me here. I'm not questioning the genuineness of it. David is genuinely awestruck by the beauty of his God, and he just wants to wait in it to dwell in it. Our friend Adrian McKinney, who's our speaker for our Butler mission trips, talks about soaking with God. I think it's the same thing. I know for me personally, there are times when I find myself in that place of his presence. Most often it happens in worship through singing. And I just want to stay there. I don't want it to end. I just want to soak. I just want to gaze at his beauty. I hope you can relate to that. I hope you've been there. That's my prayer for our senior graduates today. That they will have 
that kind of heartfelt passion for being in the presence of God all the days of their lives. But is it possible that God has become more useful to you than he is beautiful to you? Do you see God as some sort of cosmic butler at your service to give you what you need? You want a new car? Ask God. Need some relationship advice? Ask God. Just need someone to listen to your problems? God is there. Need a get-out-of-jail-free card? Or should I say a get-out-of-hell-free card? Just ask God. I'm not saying that God doesn't want to be all of those things for you, but I am saying if God has become more useful to you than he is beautiful to you, then you're missing the very best thing about God. You were created to enjoy him forever. Every human heart longs for beauty. Why else would so many people travel to see the Grand Canyon or pictured rocks? Why do they walk through Dow Gardens or why does my wife spend so much of our money on flowers every spring? Why do we decorate the insides of our houses? I believe it's because God is the ultimately beautiful one and he made us to long for himself. And that leads us to our final point. There's beauty in the peace God offers through his son. Do you agree that there's beauty in peace? If you've ever sat quietly in front of a pond, so still it looks like glass, then you'd probably agree. Or if you're a mother who's been quarantined with young children for three months who's sitting down after bedtime with a good book, then you probably agree. Verse 20 of the text says, through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of the cross. Romans 5.1 adds, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus' death on the cross, my penalty has been paid. I am declared not guilty. The wrath of God is no longer upon me. I have peace with God. How beautiful is that? And now, church, here's your assignment. Lead others to peace with God. Go into all the world and show and tell others how beautiful Jesus is. If you saw a framed painting of Niagara Falls, the artist would be disheartened if you said, oh, what a pretty frame. On the other hand, the artist would probably get an ego boost if you gushed over the artistic techniques in the picture. But the best most satisfying praise of all would be if you said, look at that beautiful waterfall. I wish I could go see it in person. 
then they would know that they had captured the beauty of the scene. That's what our lives need to do. Capture the beauty of Jesus and make others want to meet him in person. We're like a car salesman, but we're not selling a used car by trying to convince someone that the issues with the 10-year-old clunker are insignificant. No, we're more like a Lamborghini salesman, simply showing off the features of the vehicle and letting it sell itself. Now, some of you may think that that means you have to always be cheerful and smiling, never have any problems, never be in want of anything. I would suggest that one of the best ways we can make Jesus look attractive to others is through the way we handle adversity and even crisis. I was blessed this week by a short conversation I had with Mary Jenkins, a longtime member of our church who just recently retired from Dow and was blessed by God with the ability to purchase a beautiful retirement home on Whitsum Lake. Mary didn't get to enjoy that lake for long. I asked Mary this week how hard it was to deal with the fact that she might not have that lake back for years. Her response was one which showed the beauty of knowing a sovereign God. I can't quote her exactly, but she spoke with a confident faith that God was in control and that it would all work out according to his plan. That kind of faith in adversity is attractive to others. That kind of faith comes from knowing a sovereign God. We need to live lives of integrity that point people to Jesus. We need to live lives that demonstrate the love of Jesus to people of any race, religion, or economic standing. We need to be able to show from Scripture and experience that Jesus is not only true, but that he quenches the deepest soul thirst of all humans. That he is ultimately what all people long for. I opened my sermon with the well-known adage, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But is it possible that there's a different kind of beauty that's actually more objective? Noted theologian and preacher John Piper thinks so. This quote is a little longer, but follow it with me because it's worth it. He says, If there is no personal God, then the concept of beauty dissolves into personal idiosyncrasy. That is, unless beauty is rooted in God's mind rather than your mind, every time you say, that is beautiful, all you really mean is, I like that. Unless there is a God, your praise of beauty can be no more than expressions of your own personal preferences. But I think there is in every one of you a dissatisfaction with the notion that your judgments about beauty 
have no more validity than your preference for coffee over tea. And I think your dissatisfaction with pure subjectivism and relativism is a remnant of God's image in your soul and evidence of his reality. It's an echo, however faint, of a voice that once called you into being. I agree with Piper. Beauty must have meaning that is larger and more permanent than personal quirks. In Jesus Christ, we have a manifestation of beauty that is objective. When you gaze on Jesus, you gaze on beauty. He is our beautiful Savior. Pray with me now. Jesus, you are so beautiful to us. We want to reflect your beauty to others. We want to show them how attractive you are, Lord. Help us to, first of all, be reminded and experience that beauty so that it can just overflow from us as your spirit leads us. We love you, Jesus. You are the beautiful one. It's in your name we pray. Amen.